a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. This is where we revel in wrong think. Not because it's trendy, not because it's, uh, you know, it's just the contrary thing to do, but because... Well, let's just say that there are narratives being rammed down our throats that uh, don't bode well for the idea of freedom, freedom of conscience, private property rights, liberty, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, and free markets. So, you know, in defending those, you have to be a little bit of a wrong thinker. It means you've got to have thick enough skin to be willing to be called names. And, uh, well, all I can say is, welcome. Pull up a chair. Let's uh, let's get this started. Want to mention that our program is brought to you by Nikki's Whole Wholesale Food Warehouse. I am very proud to have Nikki's as a sponsor. If you are one of my listeners within the the Salt Lake City area, or at least in in northern Utah, or you happen to be passing through the Wasatch Front, it'd be worth your time swinging to Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. It's a legit warehouse. Okay, this is not like Costco. It's not like you know Sam's Club. It's not a great big big box store. This is a place where my friend Paul is able to get his hands on food from a number of wholesale food distributors, and then he gets it for a very, very good price, passes that on to you. Bottom line is, if you're trying to stretch your, your food buying dollars to their max, Nikki's is someplace you ought to go, and I'm going to let you know. Uh, apparently, they had uh, meat show up over the last couple of days, a reefer truck loaded to the nines with everything from pork bellies to individual ribeye steaks, lots of pictures on their Facebook page, uh, eight pallets of meat and other assorted goodies, 40-pound boxes of boneless, skinless Foster Farms chicken breasts for only $45. They do accept food stamps and EBT, and everything they sell is 100% guaranteed or your money back. That includes produce. No questions asked. Go to Facebook. That's where you'll find the Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse page. You'll find the directions. You'll find a phone number. When you go to do business with them, though, be sure to tell them, hey, I'm here because I heard Brian talking about you. Let them know their message reached you. All right. So where to begin today? Let's see. Um, you know, I have to admit, this is a little bit of a historic day. Uh, not necessarily the greatest historical milestone, but uh, I heard the sitting president of the United States drop an F-bomb. On the Rush Limbaugh show, which he was guest hosting today. So there's two big firsts. So first of all, look, I I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, I'm getting gaga over Rush Limbaugh, but I can't remember when a sitting president, I've, I've, I re, I've heard him interview, for instance, George W. Bush. I remember, you know, he, he would have him, you know, do a guest shot or maybe the vice president, Dick Cheney or somebody like that. I don't remember a sitting president guest hosting. And, and however you feel about Donald Trump, that's pretty momentous stuff. But apparently Trump was talking about uh, Iran or somebody out there. And, and this is, you know, this is one of the places where I got a part company with him, that that belligerent foreign policy. And, and Trump essentially just spelled out, you know, if you F with us, we're going to do things to you that have never been done before. Now, for, for those who are clutching their pearls, 
Yes, Vox. I'm looking at I'm looking at you and your columnist. Um, oh, you're so upset. How could he do that? How could he demean the American Republic? Yeah, right. You're the one who'd be out there marching in the streets with the the expletive laden uh, protesters and rioters who are using that word and more at every moment. Don't don't pretend that uh, suddenly you're shocked. Oh, by profanity. How could this be such a departure from from decency? Now, for the record. I don't think it's the right place to use it. I don't think that there's actually there's really ever a right place. But I understand people are weak. People make mistakes. I have a potty mouth myself when I'm under extreme stress. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to cut people some slack. Now, if you don't think that people in high political offices are prone to that kind of language, I don't know what to tell you. I know it's one thing what he was saying it in a private meeting in the Oval Office. So that's, so that's one thing. I mean, LBJ would have, would have said that and worse, you know, without even thinking about it. But to say it in public, you know, I it's it's a milestone and not necessarily a good one. But um, I got to say. Trump is definitely a guy who. Uh, you know where he's coming from. I don't think he's putting on a front. And by the way, I, I'll qualify what I've just said here with I don't I also don't think he's angling to become the next Hitler. He's possibly one of the most authentic people ever to have held this office. And, and that means flaws in all. He's he's brash. He is crass. He's egotistical. But to his credit, he doesn't pretend that he's not. And that's something that you you don't get from a lot of the other politicians who have that that slippery, oily feel to them that, uh, you know, oh, yes, yes, as they smile and 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 they they look at you with those reptilian eyes that, you know, of course, I'll agree with you. But but inside. They're every bit. The the oaf. Or or the harlot, you know, that, that they're pretending not to be. It's. It's sickening to see how easily people fall into that that cult of personality. Please, I'm not making excuses for President Trump and and for, you know, his his F-bomb slip on the Rush Limbaugh show. It's a pretty big faux pas. He may see a fine from the FCC, all the radio stations across the country. I'm I'm picturing program directors or or GMs everywhere kind of clutching their chest and like, crap, did he really just do that? But I'm going to ask you this in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the things that are actually actively destroying this country. Is that the worst? Because I don't think it is. I think there are a few other things that uh, that may go go a lot further. Um, Case in point, let's just dive right into this. How come in both the presidential and vice presidential debates, there was talk about all kinds of things from racial sensitivity to, you know, who's a poopy head and who isn't? I'm sorry, I'm just paraphrasing, you know, whatever. They were shouting back and forth at each other. Why was there so little talk about the national debt? You would think something that has the ability not only to uh, to put our economy which is already wheezing along on life support into a, a, a serious tailspin. Something that is is has been exacerbated by the COVID-19 response and, of course, all the, the incredible trillions of dollars of spending. Something that will lay debt on the backs of our children's children and maybe further on down the line for several more generations. Saddling these individuals with debts that they never 
benefited from that they never agreed to take on, but they're going to be contracted to pay it all back. That not sound like a very big deal or does that sound like something we can safely just kind of shrug off? Because I don't I don't think it is. And here's the the dirty truth that I don't think a lot of people want to, to consider. So I'm going to apologize in advance for the feathers I'm about to ruffle. But whether Trump is reelected or whether Biden is elected. The national debt is going to continue to explode. And you may shrug it off as well. It's just facts and figures. It's money. It's, you know, notations on a ledger sheet somewhere. But it goes a lot deeper than that. You know, they didn't call the Great Depression the Great Depression just because a bunch of people got cranky about some numbers that weren't where they were supposed to be. It had real impact on millions of people's lives, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world. We're much more joined at the hip economically to the rest of the world at this point. And the economic troubles of one nation, or at least the major producing nations, becomes the economic troubles of a lot of others. So we've tried to kick this can down the road. We have tried to put it off and not deal with it. But the biggest tell that nothing is going to really change, nothing substantive is going to change, despite who wins next month, can be seen in the fact they will not talk about the national debt. No one is putting forth anything that suggests, hey, we really should cut spending or we really should submit, should make some severe austerity cuts, you know, to, to make sure that we're not spending ourselves into oblivion. Nobody dares do it. Right? Because everybody's too attached to the goodies. Uh, what would we do if if uncle didn't bring us cookies and milk and talk to us nicely while we sit on the curb crying because we skinned our knee? When we come back from the break, I'm going to share with you an article from Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education. National debt will explode under Biden or Trump. This is according to a new report. It is not popular news and it's not going to give you warm fuzzies or make you feel like, wow, at last the problem will be solved. In fact, it's going to point out that the problem is far from being solved and nobody really, at least in the political class, seems very interested in solving it. Stick around. More good news just the other side of these commercial messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Listen, before I launch into this uh, article from Brad Palumbo about uh, the exploding federal debt, I want to take a moment here. I've been meaning to do this for the last couple of days. I just noticed this pop up on my Facebook feed, and that is the funeral service for Brandon Loveland is going on right now. Um, This is a name that a lot of you may not recognize. Uh, Members of the Republican Party in Utah County, where I live, uh, will know that he was elected treasurer of the Utah County Republican Party uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, he passed away unexpectedly just a few days ago. And unfortunately, due to COVID-19, they were restricting the number of people who can attend the funeral. So um, kindly, 
someone is streaming the funeral service. I'm just going to let you know if you knew Brandon, um, you, I'm, I'm totally okay. Turn my show off. You can catch the podcast later. <laughs> really serious. Uh, go go check it out, and uh, you'll see a very nice tribute to him. Um, I just want to share one quick memory of Brandon, and it's when he was running. I, I'm I'm a county delegate, and so I was attending the convention. I guess it was last year, not this year, but last year. And he was running for treasurer. And, you know, when, when I saw him, my first thought was, all right, this guy does not look like a politician. Why, why is he involved in politics? And when he got up to speak and he was making his pitch for this is why I should be your treasurer, um, his sense of humor was so remarkable that it won me over within the space of about one minute. I was just like, okay, this guy is hilarious. There's obviously a, a brilliant mind at work here. And he was just, you know, I, again, I, I don't mean to sound, you know, like, well, I was judging him because he didn't look like a politician. He just, he didn't. He, and he worked at an auto parts uh, store, you know, this, for which he used as part of his pitch, you know, for, for why he was the right guy for the job. But, oh, what a sense of humor. He was so funny. I became friends with him on Facebook, always appreciated his comments and the things he would share. Um, and uh, I, I don't know the circumstances. I know he'd had some some health problems and, you know, um, died very unexpectedly just a, a, a few days ago. So rest in peace, Brandon Loveland. Sad to see somebody so young um, taken, but... Uh, he left, I think, a very positive mark on the world. And again, for those who knew him or those who uh, would want to uh, maybe honor him, uh, you could actually uh, jump onto his Facebook account and they're streaming his uh, funeral services right now. All right. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Now, let's talk about the national debt. Brad Palumbo says, in our ultra-tribal politics today, both sides frame elections as catastrophic. If the bad team wins in November, we're told, everything will fall apart. But if the good guys are elected, then everything will be okay. Sound familiar? This narrative, he says, might help partisan activists drive voter turnout, but we just got even more proof that it isn't based in reality. After all, the disastrous state of our public finance and runaway national debt is one of the most pressing issues facing our country. But a new report from the Nonpartisan Committee for a Responsible Budget shows we're in trouble no matter which party wins the White House. Now, the organization, the Committee for a Responsible Budget, warns in its introduction under current law, trillion-dollar annual budget deficits will become the new normal, even after the current public health emergency subsides. The report also says, meanwhile, the national debt is projected to exceed the post-World War II record high over the next four-year term and reach twice the size of the economy within 30 years. That's the debt they're talking about. Four major trust funds are also headed for insolvency, including the Highway and Medicare Hospital Insurance Trust Funds within the next presidential term. End quote. So as Brad Palumbo points out here, things are already bad. And they're only getting worse. The national debt just recently broke an astounding $27 trillion. That's $216,000 per taxpayer. The study analyzes the spending and tax proposals from President Trump's re-election campaign and those of his Democratic rival Joe Biden to see how they would impact this crisis. Would it surprise you to learn that the prospects are bleak under either one? 
By the way, there's a nice link to the report here, which you'll find in the article, and it'll, it'll be linked in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. So here's the snapshot. Okay, here's, here's the, the low down, the down and dirty. You can do the, the deeper research on your own time. Under Trump's plans, the debt would increase by $4.95 trillion over 10 years. That comes out to roughly $35,000 in new debt per taxpayer. Under a Biden policy regime, the debt would rise by even more, a whopping $5.6 trillion over a decade, or roughly $39,000 per taxpayer. Both figures are on top of the $216,000 each taxpayer currently owes. Now, it's important to analyze debt figures relative to the overall size of the economy. So Palumbo points out under the status quo, the federal debt is projected to hit a 109% debt-to-economy ratio by 2030. Under Trump, it would hit 125% over that same time frame. Under Biden, it would hit 129%. Now, he says, however, you shouldn't come away from this report with some sort of false equivalency between the Biden and Trump campaigns. For one, the deficit projections for Biden's agenda are somewhat worse. But much more importantly, he says, we must consider how the two candidates would arrive at those deficits. According to the budget report, Biden's deficit increases would be the product of $11.1 trillion in new spending, partially offset by about $5.8 trillion in increased taxes and revenue. Meanwhile, Trump's deficit increases would be driven by $1.7 trillion in tax decreases, paired with several trillion in new government spending. Palumbo says even if the deficit outcomes were similar, a scenario with lower taxes and less government spending is highly preferable. It means Americans get to keep more of their own property, less economic harm from anti-growth tax incentives, and less intrusion of the government into the overall economy. But... He warns we should still take from this report an underlying economic lesson. Absent limits on their power, politicians and government officials of all partisan stripes cannot be counted on to enact fiscally responsible policies. They will always have a strong political incentive to simply splash the cash now for votes and stick the bill in future financial crisis or fiscal crisis rather down the line for future Americans to deal with. Now, this phenomenon was aptly realized by Nobel Prize-winning economist James Buchanan, who founded the school of thought known as public choice theory. Public choice theory applies the understanding that rational people act in their own self-interest to the incentives faced by government officials, who are too often naively thought of as benevolent actors who simply act in the common good. Now, that doesn't mean politicians are evil or even bad people. What it means is they're like everyone else. As econlib.org puts it, public choice assumes that people people are guided chiefly by their own self-interests and more important than and more important that the motivations of people in the political process are no different from those of people in the stake, housing or car market. The problem when self-interest drives individual decision making in in free private markets, the invisible hand works its magic. That means each person acting in their own interest drives the whole market to an efficient outcome because all interactions require mutual consent and therefore inherently leave both parties better off. Yet when the same self-interest motivation is applied to politicians, it means they have incentive to ignore what's best for people in the long run and simply do whatever best serves their short-term re-election interests. 
As the Cato Institute's David Boas summarized, Buchanan worried that both majorities and legislatures would be short-sighted, economically ignorant or inefficient, and indifferent to the imposition of burdens on others. Those worries seem to be right on target now. The latest budget reports offer another reminder, we can't put our trust in Team Red or Team Blue to save the day. Instead, Palumbo says we need to enshrine safeguards into the system itself like debt ceilings, mandatory spending cuts via long-term sequesters, or a balanced budget amendment. We'll come back to it right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, lines are open. You want to join the conversation, you can do so at 801-331-8113. And I really would love to get some feedback I don't care if it's, uh, you know, for or again, you know, the idea that uh, the fact that the the two major candidates really don't spend much time talking about the national debt. It's just one of those things. And and, then, you know, the press, right, the the moderators, they don't seem very interested in talking about it as well. I just shared with you this uh, article from Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education about how national debt will explode, whether it's under Biden or under Trump. According to a new report released by the Committee for a Responsible Budget. Now they're nonpartisan, okay? They're not trying to they're not trying to give one party any advantage over another. But I think the bottom line here is that if if you are hoping politicians of any party are going to lead us out of our current fiscal calamity, Brad Palumbo says that's deeply naive. It's going to take something else, and it's going to take people being willing to work together, meaning, yes, people from different parties, people from different viewpoints, to change the system itself. I think it's also a pretty strong call to um, do what you can to build your own self-sufficiency. That's going to mean different things to different people, but in a nutshell... I think I, I think anybody who is is doing what they can to be more self-sufficient at this point is probably doing the right thing. And those who are just putting it off, well, you know, I'll just apply for another credit card or whatever, may be in for a pretty rude awakening at some point. Even worse, those who are either choosing to be or find themselves being forced to be dependent on government. To me, that's the scariest scenario of them all. All right. To the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. No, I don't think people understand the national debt and take it seriously or want to even think about it for that matter. It's it's and almost too big to comprehend, for starters. Well, you know, the sad thing is before COVID-19, and I, I've been watching that for a long time, the national debt. Before COVID-19, President Trump was chipping away at it. And when you're chipping away at something that big... And fragments are falling off. The numbers are huge. And no one even gives him any credit for that with the trade deals that were going down. And, and that's one of the things why I think this whole COVID-19 really came out. I don't think it – I think the election played a part in it, but I think it was 
because the trade deals were getting so harsh on China that they had no other option. They, they were back into a corner where it was uh, pretty bleak for them. But I was watching a thing on Ron Paul yesterday, a, something on the Internet, and, yeah, we, it, this is going to implode on us. It's, we're not a sovereign nation anymore. Nope, not if you and owe somebody else. Yeah, we're, we're slaves. We're, we're beholden to somebody else, and no one else. I don't know. People just don't. They think this is going to just keep on going, and you're already seeing inflation hitting, starting. Prices are going up on a lot of goods, and my opinion is it's going to get worse. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really – this is where my anger stems from with a lot of people. You know, you can't – stay on this pattern that we've been on. You know, mathematically, if it worked, I'd be all for it. But we, 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 can't even, we can't even make an interest payment at this point now. It's beyond servicing, the interest. Yep. We're in negative. We're like Cyprus, Greece. And, and I feared that for about 10 years, that this day was coming. And, and we're here now. And, and, and when you see these politicians doing what they're doing to us, they're destroying our way of life, and they're destroying this country. It's going to take something like what happened to the people of Cyprus or the people in Greece, where their politicians actually came after their pension funds, their retirement savings. You know, when, when all the people who have their money socked away in an IRA or a 401k, um, when they suddenly realize, wait a minute, Congress is coming after that money, you know, to, quote, borrow it, you know, to help pay for needed expenses, keep the government going. But you see, Brian, that, the, thing, the, thing, the thing about it is in Cyprus, Greece, it wasn't the politicians. It was the International Monetary Fund that came after them. They grabbed the politicians and said, okay, now this is what you have to do to your people. We're going to start with the government workers because they're the ones that thought they were going to get these pension plans. And they were the first to get hit in that Cyprus, Greece. And they got notices saying, okay, you thought you were going to get this, but now you're really only going to get that. And that's what made them go to the streets. And this has already happened in California, and it's happening right now in New York City with the unions. Yeah. Well, it, it makes me wonder. It just makes me wonder if this is going to be the, the, the point where people finally start to realize, wow, the rug is totally being pulled out from under us. You know, I hear talk about a great reset. And I'm not sure what all that entails, but I'll make a prediction, even though I have no fortune-telling ability whatsoever. If we see a move away from the dollar and into some form of digital currency, that's a pretty good indication that somebody is clamping down. And it's not just government. It's that moneyed elite that you're talking about, Rob, that, that is also securing their position to where they have absolute control including knowing every dime that you spend, every dime that you receive, so that government can take its form, you know, take its its cut in the form of taxes, and so that your purchases can be tracked, so they can be denied if you hold the wrong opinions. It's coming. Yeah, I, 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 we, we are, I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's really look at this in a basic, simple form. When you, when you see all these people calling the other guy racist, right, that's 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 a right you have to be racist in this country. If you want to be racist, 
as long as you don't hurt anybody. Yep. No, you're right. If, if your behavior is peaceful, you can think whatever you want, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. But now I'm sure you've heard Yelp, in which people go around and they, they review businesses, has now added a feature. This business is accused of racial practices or, or racial insensitivity. Do you know how many phone calls I get a, a day? Google wanting my information on my business, and I hang up on them. People want me to go online and do things, and I, I don't do it. I won't do it because of that number one reason. That's another form of control. We have lost so many liberties in this country in the last 10 years, and people, I think, are now just starting to get on board now. I mean, the concealed weapons permit, foolish move to go get that. Should never get that. You know, there's, and the list goes on. I mean, the things you are losing, the, the, the government getting involved in between the renters and the, the landlords Big on time. telling them that they can't kick them out. Big Who time. are you to get involved in that? That's not your job, government. Yeah, it's we are we're way overdue on telling government you've overstepped your bounds. The problem is, or at least in my understanding, is um, too few people have have the perception that oh, they haven't really overstepped it because they haven't been the one bent over the barrel. Ah, it's frustrating. And actually, we're going to share coming up in the next segment. I, I want to share with you a, a remarkable piece from Barry Brownstein on how to resist that woke steamroller that's headed straight for us. Um, the, the Yelp thing was was just kind of a new one. A friend had had sent me a message on that the other day. And and uh, really, I mean, look, I have friends who have businesses and and they stress when someone leaves a one star review for them on Yelp. It can seriously hurt their business. And there's a lot of uh, dishonest or disingenuous spamming of uh, of these reviews. People who've never been to the business. Well, I went there and when I saw the roaches on the floor, I knew it was time to leave. And, you know, people who are just uh, trying to find some place to eat, they see that review. And without ever checking it out, you know, th- these people are, are not likely to go there. I mean, it's... Uh, it's dishonest. Not to mention it's just kind of creepy that that's what people do. But that's that's where we find ourselves. So, that back to that idea of self-sufficiency, what you can do to better position yourself. One of the things you got to do is is make yourself uh, essentially uh, boycott proof. I don't know how you do that with some businesses. Maybe we have to build some kind of an informal network of people, you know, free thinkers, wrong thinkers. There we go. I'm confident the free market can handle anything that is thrown at it. And the reason I have that confidence is because the free market relies on voluntary association and voluntary transactions. But it is just a little bit creepy. The inroads that uh, that this woke uh, culture has made into corporate America. And if you're looking for a job with a big corporation, you better be ready to toe the line. Because that's what it's coming to. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like Jeff Staples Real Estate, also the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. It's a hot real estate market right now, and if you are looking to buy a new home, you should probably get on the horn with my friend John Staples at Patriot Home Mortgage. I bet you he can help you. And since Patriot Home Mortgage has offices operating in 23 different states, that's a lot of territory that they cover. That's a lot of resources they have available to help you, whether it's uh, refinancing your existing mortgage, getting yourself pre-qualified to go home shopping, or getting that home loan that you're looking for. Go to staplesmortgage.com. Do you remember that? Staplesmortgage.com. Talk to my friend John. Talk to his wife, Heather. Tell him, hey, Brian's talking about you, saying that you are the ones with the answers. Let them do their magic for you. So a couple quick things I wanted to share here as, as we launch back into this. There is an excellent article from Barry Brownstein that I'm going to share momentarily. I also am including in the show notes. I'm not going to spend much time on this one because um, this was not one of the more pleasant articles that I've read in the last few days um, because it's it's almost unbearab- unbearably truthful. And it's from Doug Casey. It asks the question, what happens after the election? This is the takeaway that I want to use to kind of set the stage for where we go next. There's a lot of conflict, right? We can all see that. I mean, come on, a blind man can see it. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, well, I, I didn't even realize this was going on somewhere under the surface. It's out in the open. You know, cities are burning and, and people are protesting and the, just the incivility. It's creeping right down to, you know, the everyday person's level. People who won't talk to you, people who, you know, think, well, you might be for that candidate or this one, and therefore we can't talk. And the point that Doug Casey makes here is what the U.S. seems to be facing isn't so much political, religious, or ethnic as it is cultural, which he says is much more serious. In his opinion, the country's on the cusp of a full-blown cultural revolution. You ever heard that phrase before? Yeah. It happened during the French Revolution. It happened in Russia in 1917 when the Bolsheviks succeeded in changing the basic structure of society. It happened in Cambodia in the late 1970s with Pol Pot. Of course, the biggest cultural revolution was the one that was called the Cultural Revolution. That would have been Chairman Mao and the great uh, Cultural Revolution of China in the 1960s. The same kind of dynamic is at work here in America. And the people who are promoting that cultural revolution right now aren't getting much resistance. The Republicans and conservatives have been totally intimidated. They've been brainwashed into accepting that faux righteousness of the left's cultural, political, economic, and social agendas. Yeah, we don't like it, but they sheepishly accept accept it. Schools, NGOs, corporations, Hollywood, and the media, completely controlled. And completely on board for this cultural revolution. I'm going to stop there. You'll need to read it for yourself. I'm just going to tell you, it's not a feel-good story, so you've been warned. Now, Barry Brownstein, he's a truth-teller as well, but I always feel a little more empowered when I, when I look at his material because uh, Barry is he's positive by nature. But he also takes a good hard look at this woke steamroller and offers some really timely advice on how to resist it. 
He says a recent survey of young voters found significant support for the destruction of Mount Rushmore and public buildings deemed Eurocentric. The survey conducted by Eric Kaufman, professor of politics at the University of London, questioned an admittedly skewed sample of young liberal and white voters and supports growing concern that belief in America's founding principles and its constitution is no longer widely shared. In his essay, The Great Awakening and the Second American Revolution, Kaufman reports that among liberal or his liberal and very liberal sample, rather, he found overwhelming agreement with these and other radical policies to destroy America. You ready for this? Move, after public consultation, to a new American constitution that better reflects our diversity as a people. Move, after public consultation, to a new American anthem that better reflects our diversity as a people. Allow our public parks to return to their natural state before a European sense of order was imposed upon them. Rebalance the art shown in museums and across the country until an analysis of content shows that it reflects the demography of the population and perspective of native people and citizens of color. Now, Kaufman observes progressives are ready to change almost everything about America. He says the notion that strict equality quotas rather than antiquity, mass attachment, tradition, or aesthetic excellence should drive everything from the content of museums and history books to place names and the built environment sacrifices multi-general meaning systems on the altar of utopian universalism. Indeed, over 40% of very liberal respondents would replace the American flag and rename the United States of America. Doesn't get much more revolutionary than that. Kaufman writes about the Maoist cultural revolution. Many progressives are ready to embrace. This year zero mentality is among is common among heaven on earth utopian movements and corresponds to a view that people are slates that can be wiped clean and restored to their pristine blank condition. Their souls must be purified. Now, Barry Brownstein says the young voters that he surveyed were ready to embrace an Orwellian 1984 dystopia. Quoting Orwell, Kaufman observes, obliterating the past becomes the first task of the socialist regime. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Kaufman asks, is there any way to resist the woke steamroller that's trying to iron out American distinctiveness? And then he answers his own question. Yes, but this will require a concerted movement to protect the content of cultural nationhood. Kaufman points to civil society institutions, associations and media to keep the country's customs and traditions alive in recognizable form. He writes, in America, patriotic societies like the American Legion or Daughters of the American Revolution, fraternities like the Masons and ethnic associations like the Sons of Italy once performed this role. With today's partisan divide and leftist modern or left modernist control of education, the quest for a unified memory taught in schools is a chimera. The best the center right can aim for is to resist the demonization of established traditions and rebalance the teaching of history to decenter the narrative of oppression, according at a weight proportionate to its role in a balanced pedagogy, one of several vantage points on the national story. Okay, so what does that mean? Barry Brownstein says Kaufman is pointing to 
he's pointing in the right direction, but is it enough? Barry says there's no substitute for parental responsibility in the home to counteract anti-American propaganda taught in public schools. Even if homeschooling is not possible for your family, elements of a homeschooling curriculum can become a part of family life. For instance, you don't need a teaching degree to teach your children, but you do have to constantly learn what you are teaching. A parent's choice of teaching material is critical, for what one teaches is what one learns. He says, begin by refreshing and extending your own understanding of America's founding principles. Two outstanding primers for parents are Randy Barnett's Our Republican Constitution and Brian McClanahan's The Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution. Working as a family to rediscover America's principles can be fun. Rose Wilder Lane was the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Her book, The Discovery of Freedom, is an electrifying read. In clear terms and insightful stories, Lane shows why America is unique among nations. Each member of the family can read the same chapter, and the family can have a conversation over special dessert. Another excellent resource for your family to discover and cultivate the principles of freedom is W. Cleon Skousen's The 5,000-Year Leap. Barry Brownstein says, For the importance of America to be clear, a thorough grounding in world history is crucial. Homeschooling champion and English professor Susan Wise Bauer has written a tremendous history series for children, Story of the World, History for the Classical Child, Ancient Times Through the Modern Age. He says, if you say you and your children have no time, I say there is little hope of preserving freedom in America. Barry Brownstein says the progressive woke would have us all deny individual responsibility and become a nation of victims and victimizers. Change that matters won't occur from the top down, but from the inside out. The very principles of the American way of life must be kept alive in the hearts and minds of American families. Brilliant. Let me put it this way. If it was up to you to share the things that would preserve what is best about our culture, about our traditions, about America... What are the things you would want to teach? Maybe focus on learning those things right now. Because I think the day may be coming where you're going to be called upon to teach those who want to know. So let's be prepared. This is The Brian Hyde Show.